0: Habakkuk chapter 2, we continue with our prophet here as he has some problems with God. He, um, The entire book of Habakkuk, as we've pointed out, unfolds in prayer. Um, his confusion was expressed in prayer in chapter 1. He just couldn't... Um, Understand why God wasn't answering him and he is um, uh, kind of a little upset that God allows him to see all the atrocities, the injustices, all that and, and he's just silent. And then when God answers him and shows him what he is doing, that he is doing something, he's not inactive, then um, Habakkuk is going to be a little upset, and, <clears throat> you know, because he still can't understand how it is that a holy God can Use some um, evil people. And, and so Habakkuk now in chapter 2 comes to one conclusion as we'll see. Is he, he has to go to God himself and wait upon him. And again, as we said this morning, there will be areas in your life as well as mine that you're going to have to go to God alone. So he expresses his problem with God in chapter 1 through prayer and he will equally receive perception from God by prayer and then he'll rejoice later on in chapter 3 uh, through prayer so it's all about prayer the communication as we've said often there's the racial speaks for itself two ears and one mouth we often think the prayer is just talking no there's more listening than talking in prayer and um, in Ecclesiastes Solomon said you know God's in heaven we're on earth let's choose our words let them be few let's, let's choose our words well and so, here in chapter 2, <clears throat> the verse 1 to 5 really is one entire section as um, the prophet um, uh, commits himself to go to prayer. In uh, verse 1 he says, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. So the resolve of the Uh, of Habakkuk the prophet was to wait on God in prayer and that is the hardest thing to do to just wait because we are so used to activity especially in this culture in this time of our life everything seems to be so fast and um, technology and information and everything else and everybody thinks that they are wise but all they do is have information we are so steeped in information and everybody knows a little bit about everything but not any any great measure of anything about any one thing. And because you can flick it on with a computer you think you're wise. No, you're just repeating like a parrot. And so there's a, there's a, a type of deception that goes on in a very high level of information is to think that um, that we really are smart and wise and, and the fact is that uh, society and our lives... For the most part, in the world, proves that we are the dumbest generation that has ever lived. Foolish. Common sense died with the last century. <laughs> Morality, gone. We live in an amoral society. We're in a post Christian nation in the United States. And the balance is just ready to tip. We pray for God's mercy. Only God alone. What's going to happen? And so here the resolve of the prophet was to wait on God. And the proclamation of the prophet is that he would stand his watch and set himself on the rampart. His confusion of mind drives him to this commitment of seeking God. And he will stand his watch, his, his commitment to the prophetic office. And he needs to hear God to be able to speak for God. And he understands this. So he's committed, though he's still confused. He has some problems. He's committed. And he's, he's acting on his own volition. Now, God's not forcing him. And so when God deals with you and me and life and things that come up, it's always that my free volition, my free will that, that causes me to reflect and to recognize my own error, even though I think that I'm kind of justified. I know that I have to be wrong, so I have to go to God and wait upon him. Because so often what I feel that God is wrong, and it's because I'm making decisions by emotions or by 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 feelings or by circumstances or situations, rather than the objective truth of God, and His will, not mine. The word "rampart," as you know, refers to the lookout point. It could be with a platform with a booth around it, but it speaks of towers. They put them up in in vineyards so that they could see that nobody's going to steal. Their their crop, or it would be as a, a lookout point f- to see, a, be able to see the enemy. Now it's all through the uh, Old Testament: 2 Kings 9:17, uh, Isaiah 21:11, Ezekiel chapter 3:17, 33:7. Many of them: Hosea 9:8, the rampart. Now whether Hosea or Habakkuk here really had a rampart, an actual watchtower that he went up in, we don't know. It could be figuratively, it could be literal. doesn't matter. The whole thing is that he's communicating is that he needs to wait upon God to hear his voice and what he perceives and is given. He has to accept this truth that's coming from God that will settle his problems. And so often, um, we go to everybody except for God. We ask this pastor's opinion and this brother's opinion and that sister's opinion, and the more we ask, the more we're confused. And then if we really feel that we need to hear from, um, from from God and we say we hear from God, but we seek people that will give us what we want to hear. And so then we confirm and say, well, yeah, well, like, you know, I, three people told me or pastor so-and-so told me. People that want their own will done, they just keep going to people until they they hear what they want to hear. If a pastor or somebody gives them what's scriptural and they don't want to hear it, they just go find somebody else. That's all. This happens all the time. And so, the anticipation of the prophet is that he would watch to see what he will say to me. And so the word watch there is different from the previous one. And the word means to look closely. So he not only uh, um, wants to hear, but he wants to see clearly, exactly what God is saying. And so God has always spoken very clear. There's not a prophet that I've ever read that said, I'm sorry, could you run that me by Lord again? And I don't think there's ever been a time that God has spoken to you that he's had to tell you twice. I think immediately you understood him very, very clearly what he spoke to you about. So if he's our creator, he's able to communicate with us in how often he even does this just in your growth, your development in the Lord. As you open the word of God and you're reading through the scriptures and just devotion, just reading for your own feeling, all that, and and God ministers to you, or either exhorts you, or comforts you, or even rebukes you, or convicts you, or, or directs and guides you, and you know that it's speaking to you personally. The preparation of the prophet was, and what I will answer when I, uh, when I am corrected. He knew he was wrong, though he's confused. He knew he's wrong. The word correct, it means to rebuke, reprove, to chide. Not in some angry manner, but just to correct. You as a father, your son is confused, he's incorrect. And, 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 you, and you, you don't you say, you dummy, what's the matter with you? You don't say, you say, well, here, let me show you what, 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 you've got it wrong. Let me show you how. You correct them lovingly. And so here in verse 2 down to 5, you have the second um, response of God to Habakkuk. Um, he says then the Lord answered me and said write the vision and make it plain on the tablets that he may run who reads it for vision is yet for an appointed time but at the end it will speak and it will not uh, lie though it tarries wait for it because it will surely come it will not tarry so, verse 2, the instruction regarding the vision, the imperative command to write, to inscribe, to to record, uh, it's believed to be here they it's speaking about wood tablets, plainly on tablets. That which is legible, that which is readable and understandable. It's not, have you ever tried to read somebody, somebody's, I, I, I mean, I'm glad there's typing now because I write in tongues. Um, you know, like doctors write, you know, have you tried to understand doctors? What the heck is he saying there? He's saying write legible so anybody can look. Yeah, that's an A, that's a B, that's a, you know, very legible. Okay? Because the communication of God, the revelation that he's giving is for the people. It's either for instruction, for guidance, or for warning as we see here, right? So that whoever reads it, whether it be at the time or after the time, that they can look back and say, you know, he said this and it did happen. Or he said that, and it's going to happen. So the person can understand and first apply it to himself and then communicate it to others that you may first show people what it's done for you and through you as you present it to others. And so that's very important because you can't give what you don't have. It's important. And so here again, the reason and purpose was that the people um, read, understand, and communicate. Now some people have interpreted this to say that so that somebody can read it while they're running. That's not what it's saying. It's foolishness. Look at verse 3, the certain fulfillment of the vision. The vision is for an appointed time, future. Okay, so Habakkuk is is receiving this. You know, it's just around the corner, still future. But it's not in the present, as we'll see. So it's future. Um, at the end, it will be. In other words, the last days of Judah. The northern kingdom is already gone under the hand of Assyria, the rod of God's wrath, his anger, Isaiah. 10.5 um, says now it's um, babylon that's going to be the rod of god's judgment against judah in um, three sieges uh, 606 596 and 586 that final one and then there was seven years of captivity just exactly as isaiah declared exactly as jeremiah said exactly as all the other prophets said confirmed the same message from different men And though it tarry, wait for it. In other words, be patient, Habakkuk. Okay, you're confused. You don't understand how I could do this. You think that I'm compromising my holiness. I'm not compromising it. I'm holy. I'm perfect. I'm all-knowing. And what I can do, you don't understand. But I'm just telling you, I'm going to do it. But trust me, I'm not compromising my holiness. (laughs) And so, there's so much that we do understand, as I said this morning, about God. And in the Word of God, we can understand it. What would cause me to doubt God in the little that I don't understand or perceive completely? I fall back on his character. If he hasn't lied to me and all these things I can't understand, why would I believe that he's going to lie to me and what I don't understand? Your son or your daughter believes that you are their father and mother and that you're going to tell them the truth. And if someone comes up and says, you know, your dad told me to, for, to tell you this, and they, no, no, my dad couldn't have told you that. Because what they said would contradict the character of their father. they say, no way. You understand? And it's the same with God. So you always hold back on the character of God. And you leave that scripture there and you say till to further information. Maybe you'll get it before you die. Maybe you won't. Then you can ask him when you get there. No big deal. But we got enough that we do understand to keep us occupied, right? <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. And so... Um, Some would read and they would flee the judgment to come. They would repent. They would come back to God. Because Israel had been apostate. The northern kingdom, now the southern kingdom. And so, it will surely come. Certainty. So, though a terry wait for it speaks of patience. Habakkuk is alive at this time. He's going to see it fulfilled. It will surely come. And that's one of the ways that you knew and everybody else knew that you were a prophet of God. Because if you said something was going to happen and it didn't happen, the penalty was they stoned you to death. You had to be 100% accurate. They couldn't get profit insurance. (laughs) A life policy. False prophets made things up. Never happened. The prophets of God, they were 100% accurate. And so in verse 4 and 5, the two principles of God's justice to the unrighteous and righteous is given. So here it is where God corrects the prophet. He says, Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him, But the just shall live by faith. First here in verse 4, the first principle of God that he reveals to Habakkuk was that God would judge the wicked. Listen, behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. Habakkuk, I am holy, I'm eternal, I'm all-knowing, I'm in control, I am doing something. You don't have to know everything I'm doing, none of your business. If I want you to know, I'll tell you. But here, he declares that God will not hold the guilty innocent. He will not miss anybody who is unrighteous. God's basic principle is he will judge every wicked person, every person that has not repented and come to know him. Simple. Simple. The word proud there means lifted up, a swell head, identifying, of course, Babylon. The fact that he's not upright means he's not straight or right with God. He's not pleasing. And there are a lot of nice, good, moral people in the world sometimes. But that in itself cannot allow you to enter heaven. The Bible says there's not one good in Romans 3.10. No, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. We're all dead and trespass in trespasses and sins. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? Jeremiah seventeen nine, Genesis 6, 5 says, The heart of man is set on doing evil continually. Nothing has ever changed. Now we have a capacity for good because we're creating the image and likeness of God, but it's marred, right? Our bent is towards evil. When somebody cuts you off on the freeway, the natural thing is to think something bad of the person not good oh look at that guy what a nice guy he cut me off no that's not what you say. I want to ram him right get in front of him and put my brakes on right I can be nice as long as you don't bug me right so that's why we have to walk in the spirit because you walk in the old man he'll tear you apart And so, this judgment will be expanded from verse 5 all the way on down. The second principle of God revealed to Habakkuk was that God would be just and faithful to those trusting and depending on Him. Listen, but the just shall live by His faith. The just shall live by faith is in contrast to the proud, wicked ones. So, so listen to me, Habakkuk. I'm going to judge Babylon after I use them, okay? And those that are trusting me, I'm going to take care of them. This was the um, battle cry of Martin Luther for the Reformation. The just shall live by faith as he was free from the Catholic Church of works and rituals and all of this stuff. It was only God's grace that the Catholic Church wasn't able to kill him. Not that they didn't try. As he nailed his 95 theses on Wittenberg's door, commanded to stand before a council, but he rejected them and did not compromise. And finally he was excommunicated and labeled a heretic. The verse is quoted three times in the New Testament. This is the key verse to the book, by the way. The just shall live by faith. Paul quotes it in Romans one seventeen, as he says in sixteen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the power of God unto salvation, where everyone who believes to the Jew first and the Gentile, for therein the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith, according to Habakkuk, too far. So, though it's applied here to those of the of of, the, of Judah who are gonna be trusting in God, prophetically it was for those who would trust Jesus Christ for their atonement, for their salvation. On the work on the cross. Paul picks it up. He quotes it. And the emphasis there in Romans is the just. Justification by faith. The end of chapter 4. The beginning of chapter 5 verse 1. The just. Justified before God. Then there's Galatians 3.11. And um, in Galatians, the emphasis is the second part. The just shall live. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the emphasis is to live. He's rebuking the Galatians who had so quickly departed from Christ, trusting the Judaizers to live by law. Are you kidding me? The law accuses you. You ever have a highway patrolman pull you over and give you a citation for good driving? Every time you get behind the wheel of your car and I, we, we, we deserve at least 10 tickets before we even get to the freeway. The law doesn't reward you. The law shows you how much you fail because the law's the man is perfect. Anybody think they can make it to perfection? Stand up so we can laugh at you got to be grace. No other way. So that's second emphasis on Galatians. And the third one is uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 38 where it speaks about those who are trusting Jesus Christ and he says we have no pleasure in those who draw back. The just shall live by faith. He's talking to Hebrews who had come to Christ, trusting Jesus to be the Lamb of God. And after a set time, they went back to animal sacrifices. And he gives the most severest warning through the book of Hebrews. And by the way, he calls them brethren. Do not allow any teacher to tell you that the book of Hebrews is not for Christians. They are either deceived, mistaken, or liars. They can tell me what they are. Every warning has a progressive increment of severity. And it's to believers. Over and over again. So these are the three doctrinal books that... Paul quotes these, and they are prophetic for salvation. Big word, soteriology, the study of salvation. Doctrinal books, important. Trusting only the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And so, here in verse 4, he gives those two principles, right? A consolation. I'm going to judge Babylon. Don't worry about it. And I'm going to take care of the faithful. Why? Because I'm holy. And I know what I'm doing. Interesting. Look at verse 5. He says, Indeed, because he transgresses by wine, he is a proud man. And he does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers himself, all nations, and heats up for himself all peoples. And so in verse 5, the evil, destructive nation of Babylon, here, her character is declared. This is a transitional verse looking back to verse 4 to identify the proud by the general. National evil character of Babylon. Her sins of the nation. It will be declared in particular by the five woes that follow. Interesting, you can take these five woes and you can put them parallel to our nation in America. And many nations that God has destroyed and allowed to be judged by other nations. We've gone through a lot of the minor prophets. We're coming to the end. We've got Zephaniah, then Haggai, and then Zechariah and Malachi. Only four left. And there's a common thread through all of these. There are certain sins, certain practices that destroy a nation from within. Number one is people either rejecting God or abandoning God. Those who reject God, then they live on a low level as animals. What's right in their own eyes. Those who depart from God become wise in their own eyes. Instead of trusting the Lord. And they get deceived by sin. And they get destroyed. And so the focus is on the nation. Yet the rulers of the nations were the greatest culprits. Indeed, because he transgressed by wine. He, the minor prophets had much to do about drinking. This is just one of them. We'll hit it again from a different vantage point. But you can go through the minor prophets. You can go through the Proverbs. You can go through the New Testament. Now, that's one of the things. And it's interesting. And I want to hit it hard. Because today, what, with the emergent church... Many of the leaders of the emergent church and elders, they drink. They'll tell you straight up. They have beer bashes with their elders. Now, let me ask you a question, okay? We get out of the study here tonight, and, you know, I just go down to a a bar or maybe a restaurant, and I grab me a nice steak, and I'm eating there with my wife tonight, and you happen to walk in, and you look across, and there is Pastor X. And we both lock eyes. And I grab my beer with a two-inch head on that sucker and I go like this. And I chug a lot. Would you come back here next week? Then why should I accept you? Why should I feel any different about you? I don't know of anything good that can come from drinking. I was in the world. My father drank a lot. I drank. I drank with my father. Nothing good ever came into my life from drinking. It's a depressant. It's not a stimulus. It gives you false courage, false ability. It breaks down your morals, your inhibitions. And the most dangerous person on the planet is a young, single male that drinks or drugs. Because as a young male, you're living for yourself and no one else. You have nothing to lose. It is marriage that domesticates the man. Now you've got something worth losing a wife and children. It's the way God's made it. But even that doesn't hold people back today because we are so depraved in our nation. We don't even get married. We just shack up. Now, when I was growing up in the 60s, if you shacked up with somebody, you know, you didn't say much. And when you left in the morning, you crawled out the window in the back and she went out the front door and, you know, kept it quiet. It was a dishonor to the woman. now today, women boast about it. Yeah, I was together with this guy for two years, but now I've moved on to somebody else. So, so you just, it's almost like being a prostitute. Before men would treat you like a prostitute, now you treat yourself. It's amazing. And like the prophet says to Israel, you don't even ask them to pay you. You just give it away free. Wow. You dishonor yourself, then how can other people honor you? Now, thank God for the redeeming grace of God. If it wasn't for the grace of God, none of us would be here, right? But that doesn't mean we can't call out sin for what it is. I don't preach the gospel because I was perfect. I preach the gospel because I was lost and now I'm alive. I was blind, now I can see. And we never lowered the standard because we didn't meet it. We keep it high because it's God's standard. Simple. Now, if you preach too much like that, people call yourself righteous. No, bring it on. Doesn't matter. Too much sloppy agape today. Too much flesh. People still call themselves Christians. You remember Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, arrogant pride. Belshazzar's in a drunken feast. As. Yes. The Medo-Persians conquered them. So bold, so arrogant, they're just out there partying. Ah, they can't get in here. Well, God gave the way to get in there. Isaiah 45. The Cyrus calling them by name 150 years before he's been born. Under the levee Gate, deflecting the Euphrates River, walking right in. Not an arrow was shot. Mini, mini, tackle you, Farson. His knees hit together. He sobered up real quick. He says, "You've been weighing the balances. You're a lightweight. You're a dead man tonight." And that night he was dead Because he thought himself greater than God Took the vessels of God from the temple And had a drunken bash And thought he was cool All right Let me tell you God is patient But he has his end, right? And when God says it's over Believe me He's gone to the end of the mile (laughs) No one more patient than God None at all So he's a proud man, arrogant Nebuchadnezzar a whole year was warned by Daniel. As he saw this dream of the tree being cut down and the branches covering everybody and many birds in there and the roots reaching out. And, you know, he was a head, a goal, absolute ruler over everybody. But he was arrogant and proud and and it was cut down. And then Daniel warned him. One day, a year afterwards, he's walking around Babylon. and says, isn't this the Babylon that I have built? And the angel said, that's it, that's three, You're going to be like an animal for seven seasons until you know that God reigns in heaven and earth. And He can do whatever He wills. Amazing. And He restored Him to His kingdom. I expect to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Read His book, the book of Daniel. Follow it. Notice the vastness of territory in His kingdom was incredible. Does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. No nation could stop him, defeat him. Nebuchadnezzar begins the time of the Gentile, the head of gold, absolute. Every empire after that, silver, brass, iron, it's inferior. It decays. Gold is the most purest, it's the absolute, uh, absolute dictator. There was no laws against him. Whatever he said happened. He put to death whoever he wanted to, he did whatever he wanted to. No one said nothing. All the others, they were subject to loss also. The time of the Gentiles, from the head of gold to the ten toes of iron and clay. We're in a little intermission right now, the church age. Once the church is removed, the ten toes begins. Now we just had a little stirrup right now with the UK, right, this last week, out of the EU. Well, don't worry about it. There's going to be a lot of switching around. It'll end up in ten. I don't expect to be here. I hope you don't. If we get to see it, we'll see it from heaven, if that's possible. <laughs> But I'm not expecting to be here. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.9. verse Thessalonians 5.9. The hour that will keep us, that will come upon the whole world. Revelation 3.10. Very, very important. Watch and pray that you be worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the earth. In Luke uh, um, 21, uh, that Jesus speaks about. The only one who says that. Luke, why? Because he's right to the Gentiles. Very interesting. Now, And he is like death. He cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all people. This is the insatiable drive of, 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 uh, of power and conquest. You know, Alexander the Great at the, the 33 years old. You know what I mean? He, he wept because there was no more well, kingdoms to conquer. So thirsty, so uh, amazing, and, and, and power is intoxicating. Some people, it's not that they want more money. It's the power they can have over people. You understand? They couldn't spend all the money they have. It's the power to break people, to do whatever they want. To have people bow to them. This is sin nature. Daniel interpreted the dream, as I told you, and he warned them. And he failed the test. He had to go do. the School of hard knocks. Verse 6 down to 20, you have the five woes regarding the evil of Babylon. Now, the five-fold repetition of the word woe means, Alas, whole, an expression of alarm, despair, and doom by the judgment that was coming. Okay? And so in verse 6, Ray, you have the first woe. He said, Will not all these take up a proverb against him? and a taunting riddle against him, and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who um, loads himself with many pledges, will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and this city and of all who dwell in it. Notice the first war regards the reaping of retribution by Babylon from the victims from who they took their dishonest gain from. The prophecies against Babylon. The nations they conquered. They will take up a proverb. The word is. Mashel. It means a proverbial saying. A taunting riddle. A satire of mocking song. And. The riddle. An enigma. In other words. That what he's going to follow here in the words. Is the riddle and the enigma. In other words. The words that follow are the proper taunting riddle and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges like clay. In other words, all those things that you take to yourself and you you know you want this gold, you want this silver, it'll be like clay, it'll weigh you down. How many times we've seen a movie where a guy is greedy, he takes all the stuff and then he jumps in the water and it's a very gold that weighs him down and kills him. This is what it's talking about. The expression how long indicates the evil will not go on forever. Ladies and gentlemen, no person or nation is forever. Everybody has a lifespan, some longer than others. The word pledges means um, the process for security, the greater than needed, really. But they're fraudulent, dishonest for their own gain. They become actually a weight that destroys them. You, you, you've you seen them in the professional level of sports, of basketball, football players, whatever, young guys coming out of worse high school, but even college, they can't handle it. They've never handled money, they don't know how, and it destroys them, just the drugs, the chicks, everything else, too much, too soon. And um, the only way you really can en- enjoy your wealth is if you work hard for it. If you have to work hard for it, then you watch the way you spend it. <laughs> when you don't have to work hard for it, people give it to you, or it comes easy. You don't value it till it's all gone. But It'll probably destroy you before it's all gone. Just um, look up on the Internet, the people who have won the lotto, see what's happened to them. Oh, but I'm different. No, 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 you're not. You're probably worse. Probably happen faster to you. The retribution of Babylon would come unexpected and in a moment. Creditors will rise up suddenly. Awaken to oppress you, and you will become their booty. Now the word booty is not what is is talked about in our society. The booty is the spoil, the treasures, okay? So language changes differently, all right? And the, this identifies the Middle persians who, in turn, were used by God to judge and conquer Babylon. They would um, take all their riches and wealth and build now their kingdom. The next one the shoulders and arms of silver on the great image of Nebuchadnezzar. He was the head of gold. The Babylonian would reap in kind. Look at verse 8. The prophecy was certain because you have plundered many nations. Not righteously. Now, nothing wrong with war. If it's just war, you're defending your country, you're defending your family, you're defending something. War is horrible. I've never been to war. My son has been to war. My brother was. My wife's dad went to World War II. Her uncle died there. My uncles went to World War II. Horrible. There are just wars to defend your nation. But when wars are simply to conquer and to just gain more, it'll come back to you. Nations don't forget just like people don't forget. They're just waiting to look for the right opportunity to give you yours. Are we clear on this? (laughs) you so... You read. It's like a boomerang. You may have a good arm, but it's still going to come back to you. Absolutely. Prophecy is certain, because you have plundered many nations. The judgment of God would come by the hands of man. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and of all who dwell in it. I mean, when you're ruling, when you're king, it's great. But, you know, when things start changing, it's not that nice, is it? Verse 9 to 11, you have the second wall regards the ongoing covetous gain. 9 says, woe to him who covets evil gain from, for his house that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. Here in verse 9 to 11, their ongoing covetous gain. It's just nothing's enough. The character of the leaders here is vicious, without compassion for the people. Evil gain for his house, that he may set it as a nest on high. In other words, God will judge leaders who are just taking advantage of people, looking to see what they can take from them to just furnish their own house. You know what I mean? Confiscation, stealing, no big deal. And the purpose is to have enough wealth to be able to secure themselves in a safe location, right? Like a nest up high, right? I don't care how much money you have. Listen, if somebody wants to get you, you're a dead man. Are we clear on this? Any, a, a real good marksman, a sniper, they have guns today. They pick you off at a mile. No problem. <laughs> they got, they got high velocity rifles that you can just, they're, they're computerized. You just put them in. Once the red dot's there, you lock it in. You don't even have to aim. Shoot it. That's it. It'll cost you a lot of money for that gun. Maybe $15,000, but you can get it. It depends how much somebody hates you, right? It will come back. Having wealth, Babylon knew others would attempt to take it. They would have to constantly defend their kingdom against their foes. If you... Strive to attain, you have to strive to maintain, right? It's just simple. They teach the same evil practice to their children. Shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many people. So in other words, they teach individuals, not only to the family, but to the nation, the dishonesty of their evil things. The end justifies the means, right? You do what you have to do. Lie, cheat, steal, kill, doesn't make any difference. You go for it. They were added to their own hurt. Notice verse 9. They sinned against their own soul. All their gain, pleasure, and seeming victories were really adding to their own judgment. God would not hold them innocent. Judgment day would come. They will not escape this judgment in the future. Look at verse 11. If there were no people to witness against them, The objects would accuse them. The stones will cry out from the wall. And the beams from the timbers will answer it. (laughs) Interesting. The idea behind such a statement is that evil people will not escape being judged um, by God. For the things they have committed in life. Unless they repent, they will have to give an account to God. I can find nothing more frightening than to have to give an account of my life to God without Jesus Christ. I will save the 23. I would not want to give account for my life from age 13 to 23. No way. Not at all. Remember the Pharisees told Jesus to silence the crowds as he celebrated and entered in the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. And Jesus said, but he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Luke 19, 40. Nature honors its creature. It's creator. right? Wow. Look at 12 through 14 comes the third woe. It regards their oppressive murder to build um, Babylon. It says, Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not the Lord of hosts that the people labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge uh, of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. And so here the heart of the Babylonians was hard and callous. Um, not valuing human life. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. When I think of the um, the horrible guilt that our nation holds with fifty-seven million babies we have killed. That alone deserves the judgment of God upon us. That alone. When people murder people in war or whichever way it is, that's one thing. But when mothers kill their own children, that's very, very unnatural. And God will not hold us innocent over that. They kill to conquer the people. They kill anyone not going along with their plans to build their city. And they bring the city to be one of dishonest and evil practices. Why? Just because they can do it. That's it. You look to our society today, anarchy has already started from our president, from our house, from our senate, from our courts. That's where anarchy begins, from the top and it works on down. When anarchy starts from the bottom, then the head takes care of it. And so you have the same thing happening in our nation today. How can they do what they do just because they can do it? Nobody objects. There's no consequences, right? Wow. The evil ways of establishing a kingdom is not of God. Look at behold, it is not the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain. In other words, careful attention is called to the word behold here, are the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. He has nothing to do with this. This is man's doing, okay? He's not responsible for this. The one who's the the captain of the host of the armies of heaven who could do this and he would do it justly in judgment and he has the ability to destroy anybody. He doesn't do it unjustly. Men do these things. The labor of evil, bloodshed is to bring about to establish their own city. Nations weary themselves, fatigue themselves. They grow faint. Literally the word says to conquer and endeavor but it's in vain because the next generation will conquer them and kill them. (laughs) It's a vicious circle, isn't it? To establish their own city. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain, Psalm 127. one says. Notice in verse 14, this describes the millennial kingdom on the earth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So in the midst of this chaotic, um, evil Babylon and God's judgment he gives a little a little fresh air a, a little hope the kingdom age when God establishes here on earth Jesus will reign and rule upon the earth for a thousand years uh, the entire earth will be permeated with his knowledge his glory he will be ruling as king the illustration is very vivid as waters covers the sea every square inch of the earth will be under his control his knowledge and all we will be ruling and reigning with him. Those people that survived the tribulation, that didn't take the mark of the beast, will go on to repopulate the earth. The kingdom age will be fulfilled through the Israeli remnant that was promised, the kingdom age. And um, then after the thousand years, we'll have the white throne judgment and we'll have all eternity, whatever God has in store. But this is the millennial kingdom. In verse 15 to 17, you have the fourth world in regards to sexual exploitation by drunkenness to advantage themselves. Um, in 15 it says woe to him who gives drinks to his neighbor pressing him to his bottle even to make him drunk that he may look on his nakedness you are filled with shame instead of glory you also drink and he exposes uh, as uncircumcised the cup of the uh, Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be upon your glory the violence done by to Lebanon will cover you and the plunder of bees will make them afraid because of man's blood and the violence of the land and of the city and all who dwell in it. And so here, notice God would judge all those in Babylon who defile and corrupt others sexually. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing a bottle to him to what? To get him drunk so he can look on his nakedness. Making their neighbor drink. The goal is to seduce them. Letting them think that you're their friend. Having a self-gratifying agenda. Betraying, abusing, even treacherous. All the minor prophets mention the destruction and abuse that comes through alcohol. I presume that there might be one or two here that's never been drunk. If you were in the world for any amount of time, you've spent many a night with Mr. Toilet. All right? And um, again, nothing good comes from it. And here, debauchery of drunkenness is identified and connected with alcohol. How many young women lost their virtue because they were drunk that night? Sexual pleasure today is... Like going to the gym, having an ice cream, or a hamburger with somebody. No big deal. There is no respect for honor for the opposite sex, for marriage, or for what God created us for. And so we have become completely self-absorbed. People say things like, well, I feel comfortable in my skin. Really. I'll put some clothes on. It's amazing how debauched we have become in America we call it that we're liberated now you're enslaved you couldn't stop if you wanted to unless God saves you and turns you around that's the only hope Hosea 4 11 7, 5 Joel 1 5 3, 3, Amos Two eight twelve four one six six Micah two eleven. All of them talk about wine drinking, the problem. Do you realize how many people die due to alcohol and related alcohol in the United States? And we cry about cancer and about heart disease. You better go look up the statistics. We're a bunch of hypocrites. Amazing to me. They were intoxicated full of their shame instead of honor. They would drink God's wrath. There in verse 16, God says, It'll come back to you. I'll judge you. There's men without the Lord, you're out there drinking and trying to conquer every woman you want. And we think that we're cool and we think that makes us a man. That doesn't make you a man, it makes you an idiot. But today women are acting like men. So now they are in competition. And they try to seduce men as much as men used to try to seduce women. Women have, have come a long way. They've become much worse than men. Men were always dogs. Now the women are passing them up. It's amazing to me. And these ladies are going to be somebody's mother one day. Somebody's wife. Unless they come to the Lord, well, to them. Now, whatever you've experienced, you come to Christ. He makes you brand new. Gives you a new heart, a new mind. Makes you whiter than snow. But if you have to live with that through, through your life without the Lord, it'll destroy you. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll corrupt you. Bible speaks much about against alcohol. Proverbs twenty verse one: Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. First Thessalonians four three speaks about um, sanctifying yourself, not uh, um, fornicating, uh, abstaining from every form of evil. First Thessalonians five twenty two important. And so God would bring all of their evil, violence, and murder to their um, on their heads. Look at verse seventeen. Isaiah speaks about this in uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verse 4 through 8. Read it when you get home. How um, Israel would it, themselves uh, uh, bring it back to a Babylon at the end of it. How, the, how they had oppressed and had ceased and the golden city now ceases and it goes on. And, and how they had reaped to what they had sown. Amazing. In verse eighteen to twenty, you have the fifth wall regarding the worship of idols, and and, and the Bible is filled with this. Eighteen, it says, "What prophet is the image, and uh, that it its maker should carve it, the molded image, a teacher of lies, that the maker of it molds should trust in it to make mute idols." I mean, you're going to make something, make it speak, make it worth something. It has no benefit. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake! To silent stone, arise! It shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and in it there is no breath at all. So here, the futility of idols, just, you know, it's gold and silver, and if you came out of a Catholic background, you know what I'm talking about. They're blind, they're dead, they can't see. The psalmist speaks about... In Psalm 115, he speaks about they have eyes they can't see, hands they can't handle, feet they can't walk. So there's an earthquake, your little God, your little saint falls off the counter and it breaks its neck. You get some crazy glue, you glue him back up, you put him up there. We start praying to you, at least you helped him to get his head back on. They're not gods. It's an insult behind idols or demons, the Bible says. And so this guy is a teacher of lies, a false teacher. He's against God. He teaches others to trust in these things. Well, Elijah with Carmel confronted the prophets of Baal, right? He showed them who the living God was, right? Dead idols, living God. God speaks, idols don't. One's a true God, the other one, a lies. Wow, what a contrast. He tell them the idol to awake. Silly. And so, in verse 20, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Again, in contrast, while all this chaos goes going on down here, and men are evil against God and just doing what they want and trying to get ahead and they have no moral base anymore, God is in heaven. In this holy temple, let all the earth be silent. He's ruling in this temple. Moving forward in His plan and His schedule. We are right on schedule. I just don't like the schedule. But we're right on schedule. Do you know the Lord is coming? I'm surprised He hasn't come before I finish tonight. Because there's nothing left in the Scriptures prophetically for the Lord to come for His church. Not at all. Isaiah 6 says... His glory fills his temple. Revelation 4 and 5. All are on their faces casting their crowns upon him as the church is removed from here. He is worthy to be praised. And so the inhabitants of the earth is arrogant, unaware of the danger that they are under. Living without Jesus Christ. And if they die, they will perish. So we need to pray for our friends, our loved ones, those that don't know Christ, and pray that God would open opportunities for us to minister the gospel when he opens those doors. But most of all, to let them see our life first, what Christ has done for us. That's the bottom line. And so, Habakkuk, he waited, he got an earful, kind of straightened him up. We'll see that in chapter 3. Lord, thank you for your love, your goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for the people you brought and Father, for your goodness towards us. We pray, Lord, that you would just deal with us and Lord, that we would look to you in all things. As you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be safe, to repent of your sins and call upon Jesus to forgive you and to give you a new life, a new heart a new nature, a new mind. And he does this by grace through faith. Maybe you're over the internet. Wherever you're at, you can say this prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. Because you believe Jesus died for your sins and that he alone is the one who can forgive you and get you to heaven. And to change your heart. So if you believe that, you can call on his name right now. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.